Well, good morning, everyone. Grateful to be here with you this morning. Uh, happy Father's Day, as Clay has already mentioned. I know that I'm, I'm very grateful, personally, for my father. He uh, came from a non-Christian home, and then God graciously uh, saved him while he was in college. Uh, and then through that grace, met my mother, who loves the Lord, and then God would graciously use them to lead me to faith in Christ. And now I have a, a spouse who loves the Lord, and hopefully, by God's grace, someday my children will love the Lord as well. And so I'm very, very grateful for my father and just to see how he used him to literally change generations. And you might have a very similar story, or your story might be the complete opposite. Um, but as Clay has already mentioned, the good news is, is that we have a, a father in heaven who is perfect, who loves his children perfectly, even when we fall short. So I want us to draw near to him this morning uh, and listen to what his word has to say. So you can open your Bibles with me. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, mainly looking at verses 17 through 20, and we'll also have it there in the bulletin for you. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Luke 10 17 through 20 says this, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. God's word given to you because he loves you and he wants you to know him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we come to a day that rejoices in fathers, we would be mistaken to not rejoice in you. The father that we all need. Would you be with us now as we study your word? Would you, would you even help us to rejoice in your word? It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The question I think our text invites us to ask this morning is, what do you rejoice in? Or maybe who? Who do you rejoice in? What, what brings you joy? And I'm talking such a joy that it, it forces you to verbalize it. Like you can't help but talk about it. Maybe you even call somebody to share the news. If, if we're able to answer that question, I think you'll see that it actually begins to reveal some truths deep within our hearts. And we're going to see that Jesus does that this morning in this passage. He's able to reveal some truths about other people's hearts based off of what they rejoice in. But in order for us to understand this passage, we, we need a little context. I know we're just jumping into the middle of Luke, probably wondering why there's 72 people where they're returning from, and why are they rejoicing? First thing we need to know, kind of big overview-wise, is that really the, the first nine chapters of the Gospel of Luke are trying to answer the question, who, who is this Jesus? Who's this Jesus? And if you were to read through it, you would see that Luke continually tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Son of God. But then it's at the end of chapter 9 and on that this theme begins to switch it's now, if he truly is the Son of God, then how should we live? If he truly is the Son of God, how then should we live? And the, the general answer for all of us is that we are called to be disciples. 
we're called to be followers of Jesus. And it's here in chapter 10 that Jesus really begins to spell that out for us, begins to show us what that looks like. Look with me at the the first verse in chapter 10. gives us a little more context of our passage. It says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And if you were to continue on reading there, you would see that Jesus gives the 72 a, a mission and a message. The mission was to go into these towns that Jesus was about to get into to kind of prepare the way and begin to heal the sick. And then the message he wanted them to share was this, the kingdom of God has come near to you. All right, easy stuff, easy mission, easy message. And y'all, it's, we're not given all of the details with this mission, like how long they were supposed to be gone, when they were supposed to return, but apparently Jesus shares those details with them. It says, hey, I want you all to come back on this time and meet in this place. All, all we're told is that Jesus sends out 72, and now they are returning. And so this brings us back to our passage this morning. And as we study it, I, I want us to see really two things. Two things. There is great encouragement, and there's great warning. Great encouragement and great warning. The 72 have returned, and boy, are they excited. They've got joy. They are rejoicing. When I, when I was thinking about the 72 returning, it kind of made me think of like a reunion. That's a, that's a big reunion. More often than not, reunions are a fun thing. I guess it's whoever you're reuniting with. Uh, but more often than not, again, fun things, right? You get to catch up with people you haven't seen in a long time. You get to share stories. You get to catch up on each other's life, all that fun stuff. But it's usually while you're at these reunions that whatever has gone on in your life that is the most important to you usually gets brought up. If not, it's the first thing that gets brought up. Like, hey, check out my new baby. Or I just got married. Look look at my bride. Or we just moved. Or I just got a new job, etc. Well, the 72 are returning to what seems like a reunion, and they're so excited to share with Jesus all that has happened. And as we see at most reunions, they begin to share what is most important to them. Verse 17 again, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So apparently the 72 went out as Jesus commanded, And again, not told all the details that occurred, but apparently some amazing things have happened. And and I think we would be mistaken to think that this is all that the 72 talked about. This is all that they mentioned. But apparently this was at the top of their list. This is what seemed to excite them the most. So just picture with me, I would think rightfully so. Picture with me, they're all together, they're coming back, and they are amazed. They're amazed by what had happened on this mission. They're going, man, I can't wait. I can't wait to share with Jesus all that we did. He's going to be so proud, so proud. And so they get back with all the 72. They're swapping stories. They're comparing stories. They're excited. They're going, oh, which one should we share first? Which one should we start with? And they go, yeah, yeah, I think the demon thing's probably the best. Let's start with that one. But once they share it, Jesus' response is not quite what they expected. 
But as we look at it, hopefully we'll see that it's very encouraging, but also comes with great warning. Jesus says this in verses 18 through 19. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, if you're like me, and I I really hope you are, when you read that, did you not just be like, uh, what does that mean? Can we read that again? Mark care to explain? And y'all, again, that's, that's from the perspective of the reader. Can you imagine what was going on in the minds of the 72? I just picture them being like, okay, not, not the response I was expecting. And I, I know Jesus likes to speak in parable, parables. Felt like I was getting pretty good at figuring those things out. But this, I'm lost. I don't really know what he's trying to say here. And y'all, as I studied it, there's great scholars out there that seem to have some differing opinions on this. And maybe the 72 understood it better than us, but for the reader, God's word doesn't necessarily tell us. But again, I think the theories that go with it are, are, are pretty good. Here, here's a couple of them. Some have suggested that maybe Jesus had a vision of Satan falling when the 72 were casting out the demons, kind of, kind of confirming what they did. That, that could be. Others have suggested that Jesus is remembering what he saw in the very beginning when Satan fell from heaven as the prophet Isaiah highlights for us in Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 21. Which in that case then, it's also highlighting Jesus' deity. He was there in the beginning. He is the Son of God. And so that could be it as well. But I think what all the scholars do agree on is something that's very, very encouraging. Either way, I think Jesus is saying this. Satan is a defeated enemy. He's a defeated enemy. Anything he does is ultimately under the sovereign hand of our God. And we know this to be true from his word. If you're to go into the early chapters of the book of Job in the Old Testament, you'll see that he has no power. He can't do anything without God's permission. I think sometimes we we subtly want to believe this lie that when it comes to spiritual warfare, there's days where God wins and then there's days where the enemy wins. And Jesus here is going, nope, it's not true. It's not true. He is a defeated enemy. So of course the demons are subject to you in my name. I am greater than the enemy. I'm greater than the enemy. And y'all, I think that's an encouraging reminder that we need to remind ourselves of every day. Jesus is greater than the enemy. Jesus is greater than the brokenness of this world. And I know for all of us, we all have so much going on in our lives, right? We're, We're busy people. And if we're honest, it's not all good. Some of it's bad. Some of it's difficult. Some of it's challenging. Some of it's sad. And it could be really, really easy for us in those moments to feel like the enemy is winning, but he is not. One thing we need to remember is that we live in a broken world. And we experience, we we, we feel the experiences of that every single day. Every single day, but he's not winning. And when we feel like he is winning, my prayer is that 
the Holy Spirit within us would graciously, graciously remind us of what we have forgotten, that somebody else has already won, that our Lord has already won. The 72 were experiencing the kingdom of God breaking into this world. The kingdom of God has come near to you was the message. They were experiencing a taste of victory. And we know that Jesus dying on the cross for you and for me, for our sins and rising from the grave, he has sealed that victory for us. And through faith in him, through faith in him, we are freed, freed from the chains of sin. And one day, the kingdom of God won't just be near to us, it will be here. Satan is a defeated enemy. Jesus continues on in verse 19 and says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, I don't want to spend the, the rest of my time focusing on snakes and scorpions. That would not be the point of this passage. But he does share it, so I do want to hit on it. I want to say this. Can God save us from snakes and scorpions? Of course he can. Of course he can. He's God. He does this for the Apostle Paul in Acts 28. Apparently, Paul is on this island called the Island of Malta, and the natives welcome him. And they welcome him by building him a fire. Well, Paul decides to grab some sticks and put it into the fire. Now, because of the heat of the fire, out comes an animal, and it's a viper, and it bites Paul on the hand. Right? Cra crazy story. Now, what happens there? Nothing. Nothing happens. Amazing. It just, it just says that Paul shakes it off into the fire and continues cooking his hot dogs. This is amazing. That's amazing. Now, but what happened here? Clearly, God protected him. Clearly, there's no doubt about it. But y'all, notice what Paul didn't do. Notice what Paul didn't do. He didn't put down his hand and be like, oh, hey, look, cool, a viper. Check this out. No, he didn't do that. Y'all, no, no joke, just the other day, my family and I, we were having a bonfire in our backyard. And because of the heat from the flames, out came a scorpion from the bricks. First scorpion I've seen, by the way, moving to Georgia. It's not cool. I'm not okay with it. Now, I saw that scorpion, and I go, clearly the Lord could protect me from this little thing. But notice what I didn't do. I didn't lay down in the scorpion's path going, prove it! Protect me, Lord! No, that would be foolish. That would not be wise. We need to understand that verse 19 isn't a blanket statement to say that the children of God are covered from all the problems of this world. Clearly, if it were, we should really be questioning some things in our life. Instead, please hear this. Instead, it is a promise from Jesus saying, he will not let anything happen to us that would cause us to not be able to finish the mission he has called us to. And the mission he has called all of his followers to is found in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, where it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. Now that mission ends at different points for each of us, right? Like we don't, we don't know when the Lord is going to call each of us home. 
But what this tells us is that Satan does not have power to hurt us, to persecute us, or to even cause us to die out of his own will. All of this falls under the sovereign care of our God. And y'all, even when we do die, even when we do die, we're still trampling over the power of Satan because like Jesus, we will rise from the grave. He doesn't win. The statement that Jesus makes in verse 19 isn't a statement for us to go out and prove, but it's a statement for us to be able to rest in. It's not a statement to go out and prove. It's a statement for us to be able to rest in. He is in control, and he will continue to prove it throughout your whole life till the day he calls you home. So as we can see, there's great encouragement, great encouragement in this passage. But remember, I also said there's great warning. So the 72 return. They shared what they were excited about. Jesus responds with what he has said, reminding them that the enemy is defeated and he has given them power and authority for their mission. But in verse 20, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, when I, when I first read this, it kind of feels like Jesus is raining on their parade. Like, come on, Jesus. Like, they, got, they just did this awesome mission. They're excited. They're talking about it. And Jesus is like, nope, shut it down. But that's, that's not what's happening. Jesus didn't say he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven to try to one-up the disciples. Like, oh, subject to your name. Well, I saw Satan fall, so top that. No. We know that Jesus loves his followers enough to die for them. So what he says comes from a heart of love and compassion and care. And so for Jesus to say what he has said means he sees something. He sees something in their joy, in their rejoicing, that is coming out of the depths of their heart. And he doesn't like it, and he knows that it is extremely dangerous. Extremely dangerous. It's a silent killer that most of us miss. And they did too. Self-pride. Self-pride. The 72 were proud of their accomplishments. They were proud of what they were able to do in Jesus' name. And I think Jesus responds the way he does because of what he saw in verse 18. As much as verse 18 is an encouragement, it's also a warning. I think Jesus sees in their hearts what he saw in another. And that person fell from heaven like lightning. That person was proud and wanted more. That person wanted to create a name for themselves. And Jesus is saying, I see that same desire in your hearts and it leads to your destruction. Jesus isn't saying it's wrong to rejoice and be joyful for what has happened, but instead he's trying to warn them to not let what they have done, their accomplishments, be the foundation of that joy, the source of where their joy comes from. Jesus says instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Why? Why, say, why, why rejoice in that? Because he knows that having your name written in heaven is an eternal reality. It's a joy that will last for all of eternity. 
But the joy of the 72 seems to only be found in what they were able to accomplish, which means when they don't succeed, their joy is gone. When our joy is wrapped up in self-pride, when it's wrapped up in wanting to make a name for ourselves, that joy is threatened every single day. Every single day, because there's plenty of days that go by where you don't accomplish things. Ever sit down and binge through Netflix before? Accomplish nothing. You know, there's plenty, plenty of people around the town who don't know your name. Guess we're not the somebody we thought we were. It's Father's Day, so let me give a fatherhood example. Okay, let's say that my joy is wrapped up in being the perfect father. The perfect father. And let's say my definition of being a perfect father is my children obey me. They obey me. Now, if that is true, for me, that joy is threatened by one word, one name, Rosie. My sweet, sweet two-year-old daughter. Oh, she's two. She doesn't, she doesn't know any better. She doesn't listen that well. We're, we're working on it. I'd be like, hey, sweetheart, can you pick that up? No. Baby cakes, time to get her jam jams on. Ah! And you're over here like, Lord, strength, please. But y'all, if my joy is wrapped up in my daughter obeying me, that joy is out the window. Out the window. There might be good days. More often than not, bad days. She's two. But if I'm honest with you, I catch myself finding my joy being wrapped up in the perfect parent. Know how I know? Because when she doesn't obey me, I get angry. I get angry. The somebody that I want to be is crumbling at the hands of a two-year-old. But seriously, Jesus is saying you will never find ultimate joy in something that was never designed to bring you ultimate joy. Ultimate joy is found in Christ alone. Ultimate joy is found in Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. And when we ask him to forgive us of our sin and we place faith in him, our names are written in heaven. Now, for our names to be written in heaven, that might not sound that amazing. It's not difficult to get your name written on something in 2023. But back then, before printing, to have your name written in something, that meant you were somebody. Every, every town would have had a, a, like a town roll or a census. And if your name was written in that, that meant you were a citizen. You were somebody. Well, today it might not be the town roll or census of Oconee County. We might not find our pride in that. We might. But I do believe there is still self-pride in all of us. We all strive to be somebody. And Jesus is reminding his followers that our names are written in heaven. Our names are written in heaven. And that's the only somebody we need to be. Citizens of the kingdom of God. Nothing beats that. Nothing beats that. Something else I think we can notice here in this passage is that spiritual gifts does not necessarily prove faith in Christ. Yes, the 72 went out and did amazing things in Jesus' name. But if you were to just look at a chapter before this, in chapter 9, Jesus sends out the original 12 to go and do the same things. And guess who was in that group? Judas. 
he would have been doing the exact same things in Jesus's name, which goes to show us that proximity to Jesus, closeness to Jesus does not equate a relationship with Jesus. Great warning. Ultimate joy is found in a personal relationship with Jesus. We can find joy in so many things, and there's joy to be found in so many things. But lasting joy, a joy that lasts for all of eternity, is found in Christ alone. I'll end with this story. It is said that this passage was one of Pastor Tim Keller's favorite passages, so that brought encouragement to me. Uh, it's also said that there's a, another well-known pastor by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones who held on to this passage all of his life, especially at the end of his life. I guess Martin Lloyd-Jones was apparently dying of cancer and somebody wanted to come and check in on him, ask him some questions. And when they got there, they asked him, how are you coping with it? How are you coping with it? Not, not how are you coping with the disease, but he wanted to know, how are you coping knowing that you used to be this big-time pastor, probably preaching three times a week, you're writing books, you're editing books, etc. And his response is beautiful. He quotes Luke 10, verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Martin Lloyd-Jones wanted him to know that his joy was not wrapped up in being this well-known, famous pastor, or writing books, or editing books. He wanted this man to know that at the end of his life, the one thing that kept him going throughout his whole life was that his name was written in heaven. The one thing that kept him going his whole life, and the source of where his joy would come from, is out of this mind-blowing reality that Jesus forgave him, and that he is saved. Y'all, that is a joyful reality all of us can have through faith in Christ alone. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the great encouragement that it brings to us. Just reminded that the enemy is defeated. You have won, and it's through faith in your Son that we are freed, and our names are written in heaven. This news is worth rejoicing in, and it's worth sharing with others. I'm also grateful for your gracious warning to us to place our joy in you because nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will last for all of eternity. It's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.